Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Michelle Brown, I am beside myself to have you on the She's the Boss podcast. Oh, Jules, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. Well, I just love your story and and I guess we have to be open with everyone here and let them know that we have worked together now for over Mm -hmm. a year with the PR Accelerator program, but everything that I have learned about you I love. So this is a great opportunity for me to stick my nose in and find out everything. But let's just start with telling everyone who's listening what it is that you do and, yeah, tell me what it is that you do and why you do it. Mm-hmm. What do we do? Well, I like to think that we share creativity with women, but what we do is run paper craft shows throughout Victoria, Australia, and we also run a craft store. So in our current challenging times, there's a lot, a lot of events yep. going on. So we've really had to pivot to create an online store and then also starting doing um, small art classes as well. So really being able to bring a personal touch to creativity with women. Gee, you're amazing. So, okay, so now I'm going to wind you back because I know a little bit about you. This is not your full-time job, is it? You are actually, what what else do you do? Well, I like to think of this as my part-time job. Uh, This year was going to be the year that it become more than halfway. What I call my grown-up job or my real job. So I've got an engineering background, spent 18 years at Boeing and now 10 years out in the consulting world. So we partner with a company that partners with businesses to do business improvements. So anything from corporate training, HR systems, um, MRP system, ERP, mostly in the manufacturing space. Wow. I don't even know what half those words mean, but I'm very impressed (laughs) about them. Okay. So you're an engineer on the side. What made you set up from page to paper at from paper to page and beyond. From picture to page and beyond. Well, it starts even a little bit further back than that. So 10 years ago when I left Boeing, I um, quickly decided that I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mum because I still felt I was very much an engineer. And so this was back in 2008. And I got onto a course that was called um, the 31-Day Challenge by a guy named Ed Dale, who's a Melbourne-based consultant. And it was about getting a website up and running and making money from that. And the more I researched it, the more I found that what I was passionate about, which is paper crafts and what we call mixed media art, is um, was a really good fertile ground. I could write about it. I could make things. I could create content. So that started as a website back in 2008. Right, as a project for, for doing a course. It was just like build a website and you thought, well, what will I do? I'll do it yeah, on my Yeah, so it was about keyword research and finding something that you could talk about. Right. Um, back in those days, the idea was making money through selling e-books and um Amazon affiliate programs. So back in those days when they were profitable yeah. and the mixed media thing just grew and it really took off. I had a quite a big following through um, North America, which is where a lot of the mixed media artists are. And over that time I had sold ebooks. I've written a self-published book and I had an ability, um, an opportunity to go to the big craft show in America. So they had what's called the craft and hobby association show. It's, um, it's huge. It's so much bigger than anything right. we have here in Australia. So it's a, a retail, a, a trade show. So not retail show, but right. a trade. And I went there and someone said, well, have you thought about bringing products to Australia? And like anything, the things that lead up to it, 
<clears throat> a few months ago, I'd been to one of the local shows from picture to page and I was looking for stencils and I couldn't find any. There was hardly any here. There was still a lot of scrapbooking, but what I wanted to do was yeah. a bit different. And when I got to this American show, um, thankfully it was in Anaheim and my family decided they'd support me. So I keep saying they got to go to Disneyland and I got to go. I to was going to say, did they spend Earth. the day in Disneyland? <laughs> and spend a few days at the paper craft show. And yes, I had a lady say, would you be interested in importing craft products? Now at the time I was just thinking, Oh, nothing like buying your craft supplies wholesale. Who would say no to that? <laughs> so we bought a handful of supplies. And something else that happened in that time was that a friend and I had been to a similar show and was watching someone else demonstrate and thinking, gosh, we could do a better job than that. You know, our work's much right. more interesting. So we sort of had planted those seeds. And once I started having bringing in the craft supplies, I actually went to the first From Picture to Page show, which was six years ago now in May. And right. um, so we did our very first show. We had a little stand and we had demonstrations. And um, at the Hang time... Hang on a minute. Let me just ask. So does the picture... Was the picture, uh, the craft show you're talking about, did that exist yes. beforehand? Yeah, and I you brought ended that up... as a going okay. concern. So at that very first show when we had our oh, little wow. stand, um, the lady, yeah. Shirley, that had been running it for about five or six years to date, said she was looking at selling it. And I went, right. well, there's an opportunity. So within six months, I had taken over the show. And so, yes, for the last five and a half years now, I've been running the From Picture to Page and Beyond Paper Craft Show, as well as running Mixed Media Art as the, the craft show and the store side of it. Right. Do you know, all this time I've known you and I didn't know that it was a going concern mm. before you. Now, one of the things that I think you're not great at doing is blowing your own trumpet, which is very normal and lots and lots of women are like that. But let me prompt you to talk a little bit about these shows, because when I first met you, I assumed it would be 30 people in a, you know, back room of a council office, <laughs> you know, where they'd lent you the space. But no, I was a little bit wrong. So tell me a little bit about the, well, well, actually, tell me about the evolution mm -hmm. of the events, because obviously when you first started, it was very, was it, how many of you, um, there see, were when you? when I first took over, that was running three shows. So yeah. uh, May, May and November show, March, May and October. The dates right. have moved around a little bit. So that was three shows. <clears throat> and um, right. so the one at the Sandown Raceway had about, yeah, five, six hundred people then. And we've now grown that oh, to right. event well over a thousand, nearly two thousand people. So in this five years, we've added two more shows. So we now have five shows across Victoria, and we did have plans on adding another one, but I think we'll wait and see if this current disaster <laughs> how that ends. Well, it's been very interesting what COVID's done to you because you have done that awful word that everyone's using and pivoted. Mm -hmm. But really, I would think that that's given you a whole new outlet and possibly new eyeballs on something that you weren't doing before. So. Um, we're kind of, this whole conversation is going a bit weird, but I'm really interested to know all of this. So can you tell me uh, what you have done during COVID mm -hmm. and how the, how it affected you? Because let's say that at the beginning, I got a phone call from a very miserable woman who <laughs> said, oh my God, everything's gone. We've lost everything. Yeah. The show can't happen. You know, how are we going to be able to tell people about the crafting things? What are we going to be able to do to showcase the retailers? And boy, oh boy, have you hit the nail on the head. So what have you yeah. done? So what we did, like I said, when we couldn't have in-person shows, well, the obvious step was to take it online, but to really look at what format. Um, a lot of our retailers are small businesses, usually owned by women, and the level of technology is quite basic. Low. So it was how do we make it so that it's accessible to everyone? So what we did in the first few weeks was, yeah, get my online store up and running. 
But then also um, we started doing craft demonstrations because we knew a lot of people were really stuck at home in that sort of end of March, early April period. I know. It was like, it was, to me, it feels like the pandemic really was a bit of a gift to you because so many people have gone and looked at crafting that they haven't been thinking about it for years. Yeah, I think. exactly. So the first challenge was how do we make it sort of general so that anyone who wanted to craft could join in. Then we realised that that was quite limited. So we really did look at people that were already crafting and what they could do with the supplies they had. Um, it soon became obvious, like I said. So what the show was about was building up not only the body of retailers, but also the body of crafters. So we could be that, that conduit between the retailers yeah. and taking them to our crafters as well. So we've got a fantastic community on Facebook. And yeah, we've come up with a way of having these shows. We're running two a week at the moment. We um, do it on Skype, so keeping it really simple. Because um, some of the challenges yeah. for these businesses is how do we create camera? How do we do sound? How do we do lighting? So we've got a couple of simple ways that we help them with that. We always do some practice runs before we jump into it. So, so do, are you doing remote demonstrations? So you're yeah. in your new studio, which I'll get you to tell me about mm-hmm. in a minute, and they're actually in yeah. there. Yep, they're at home. Oh, so yeah, In their, in their shop Skype, or whatever. And, and, and you do, oh, I didn't realise. I thought that... Right. Well, that makes enormous sense. Yeah, because we so, were all stuck. So, talk so to me about doing, so the two things. So, the interviews with them doing demonstrations, and then my own demonstrations as well. So, yeah, it's really evolved into being able to push it out through Facebook, and we're doing two shows a week at the moment, and then that goes onto YouTube, and then gets embedded back into our website, which is where the real power is for the retailer, because what that allows us to do is share their projects, have it somewhere where you can find it, because Facebook becomes really hard mm-hmm. to find things after a while, and then link directly to our retailers' online platforms as well. So really, like I said, that conduit between the crafter and the retailer. So they can watch the video, see that you're demonstrating some new glitter pen and then go and find it. So, but well, tell me a little bit more about the paper crafting because it's a bit hard when it's um, radio and we can't show anyone. Can you just explain what it is that you mean when you're talking about paper crafting? Yeah, so when we talk about paper craft, it is really a broad craft and it's almost everything that doesn't include sort of knitting and fabric. So it's card making, it's paper toll. It can be origami, it's scrapbooking, it's art journaling. It it really does a mixed media, which really sort of spans between that craft and that art as well. You know, it's sort of not sort of frowned a bit on by, by fine art, but there really is those people that can go from doing craft and learning some techniques and really getting up to a quite a high skill level. Yeah, and, and I've seen some of the work that you've done is you do uh, journals and mm-hmm. things, don't you, where you sort of, create a page and then I've even seen you I saw you do something on LinkedIn this week about okay I've finished my July calendar mm-hmm. and you make like a calendar page for each month as well yeah, don't so you? for the last six years I've done what we call a daily diary so creating a beautiful background with a little square for every single day of the year and we just write a sentence or two in so yeah, it's just a way of. And do you keep them? Life. Are they for sort of grandchildren, or what? What do you do with well, them, or are they just there like, for the joy well, of doing it? What did we do last year? Or um, my husband's birthday's coming up. What did we do last year? Or it was my sister's birthday, and she's normally away this time of year. So I was like, well, how many years has it been since I've been in Melbourne? So I got them all out. <clears throat> oh, 2012, we went out for lunch. So you're in Melbourne that year. 2013, no mention of you. So yeah, we could use those to right. backtrack and see what we'd been up to. Yeah, I think that's it. That's fantastic. Okay, so now tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey, because going to um, going to Vegas or wherever it was in the US, Anaheim. Sorry, got that wrong. Um, and and watching a craft show and then 
coming back and deciding that you'll be a distributor and then taking on a, <laughs> a, a show when you're an engineer, I think is fascinating. So where do you think your entrepreneurial urges came from? Well, I guess it, like everything, when you look back at the journey, it was just a series of small steps. So writing and publishing the book gave me a an American tax file number, which allowed me to really apply to get, become a member of this association because it is an industry body. So you needed to have different levels. Right. You know, it wasn't just people who want to craft supplies wholesale. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that either. Yeah. So you sort of had to build that up. And then, like I said, once I got there, it was really looking at, well, you know, what's the potential versus what's the downside and really trying to cap that, especially that financial downside. So, you know, if I lost a whole mm-hmm. heap of money and ended up with a whole heap of craft supplies I really wanted that I couldn't sell, <laughs> oh dear. What were you going to do? <laughs> That's still the current joke. I'm going to be in the nursing home with all my pencils. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that's yeah. So that was the real first step, and then, like I said, when I started to see behind the scenes of organising the show, and because my engineering brain is very process driven, um, it was just a logical next step. I could really see that opportunity of you know taking it. Um, The lady that ran it again was a little bit older than me, perhaps not as social media savvy. So it was that opportunity to to really bring it to a next generation. Wow, I just love your entrepreneurial spirit that you went, okay, I'm just going to go for it. So what's it been like? I mean, have there, there must have been some challenges along the way as well as some successes and, and COVID aside. <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about the journey in terms of whether there was some bad advice you were given, whether there have been some experiences that have really kind of affected yeah. you? Um, and what you've learned from I them? I guess the funny thing is now that I've been running it for five years, it's actually taking me almost that long to actually feel like I do own it and it is mine. Um, before that, whenever I was ringing up for, you know, to hire things or um, to get promotional equipment, I felt like a bit of a fraud. It felt like it wasn't mine. Really? So, yeah, it's really Five years, wow. <laughs> yeah, to really feel like it is mine. Okay. Um, again, we've never, I've always had my husband's support. Him and my boys come and help at the shows. I've had really good support from friends. Um, we've always set the finances up so that we always know even if things went through it really bad, we could always cover our costs. So that's a thing that we're quite conscious of. Um, and it's really, yeah, I think it's also about being really conscious that we're serving two markets. We've got the retailers and then we've got the crafters yep. as well. So, and it's an interesting, we say it's an interesting Venn diagram because the retailers want cheap venue, lots of crafters spending money. The retailers, the crafters, well, no other crafters, but lots of retailers with all the new products. So <laughs> not a lot of crossover. So it's how do we find that, like I said, the right venues at the right price without price gouging to the retailers, yeah. but then also having something that we can offer the crafters as well. And when I first took it over, one of the smaller shows, the lady that I bought it from said, oh, I'm thinking about making free entry. So we charge an entry fee. And I thought... The reason that I didn't, we've kept it very low, but the reason that I didn't want to have no entry fee is because it becomes a barrier of entry. So if someone wants to come along, and because we, again, it's not just buying things, there's demonstrations to watch, you can do classes, there's free classes, there's a kids craft area. So we offer a lot of value to the crafters as well. So we wanted to make sure that we had just that small fee, which helps us cover the costs, helps takes the burden from the retailers, but also makes the visitors, the crafters think, okay, I'm actually, you know, paying money to come along to this. So it's something that I want to do. Like I said, it, yeah. free can be very expensive I think, if I we think end up with the wrong people. 
Yeah, and I also think that that as a rule of thumb across anyone who's running events, it, the big deal is make people pay because if they pay, they're more likely to turn up um, and in your case sort of value what it is that they do. But tell me about hiring spaces when you don't know how many people are going to come. How is that? Because that's always been my big nerve-wracking thing about, oh, my God, what if I hire the space and no one comes? So did you have any of those kind um, of wobbles? So you know the, the sentiment about biting off more you can chew and chew like crazy? So. Yeah. Um, but again, I inherited a current show. And um, when my father took over his business, he said he was very conscious about for the first 12 months, making it look like nothing had really changed. So yeah. keeping it very, and Good that's advice. what I did. So the lady that I bought it from Shirley, she came and worked at all the shows for the, she still does, but the agreement was for the 12 <laughs> months after. And um, then we would pay a progress payment as well. So she had a bit of a skin in the game as well. Of course, yeah, we right. had an agreement that she couldn't go start another show while we were still running this in Victoria. And so for the first 12 months, we kept it very small, created a mix, uh, a social platform, started collecting more emails. And so then we really grew from that. So we outgrew our venue at Sandown. We were in one of the smaller rooms. Um, and it actually, again, how luck would have it, one year they came to us and said, look, we've got, we want to, we have to put you in the bigger room. Um, I think BMW, so Sandown's got a car track as well as a horse track. Right. And BMW were hiring out the venue for their um, demonstration days. And so they needed the right. venue, so they asked us to move into the bigger one for no extra cost. <clears throat> so that allows us to actually grow the show without putting more money into it. Right. So that was sort of the first step into growing it, and then over time we grew in. And so the first year we had that big room, it was probably three times bigger than what we'd had before, and we had it partitioned off about wow. two-thirds of the way. And then the next year we moved it out, and look, I... I just knew people in the industry. I rang as many people as we could. We did all sorts of deals. We created classrooms that took up some space that allowed people to offer more to the crafters Good as well. Good idea, so, yeah. Yeah. Such a clever idea. Um, so along your entrepreneurial journey, are there any oh, – and look, the only reason I'm asking this is that this show is about women in yep. business. It's about female founders and I am often talking about how women in business support other other women, and I have been told I'm very naive, <laughs> um, which I possibly am, but maybe it's just that you get what you ask for and I just shut out any haters. Mm -hmm. Have you had any women that you can think of that have helped you along the way that you want to do a little shout-out for? Ooh. I mean, obviously the woman who you bought it from, I would have thought, she sounds terrific if she's stuck mm -hmm. around. Yeah. it's um. Look, it's a very small industry, the show paper craft show industry, so... We've really only got sort of four other competitors and one of them is run by a woman and we sort of respect each other's spaces but always sort of keep each other informed. So right. we don't encroach on venue all the same time of year, so we make sure that's kept quite separate. Nice. Um, for a couple of years as a retailer, I actually went and sold at her shows as well, so that gave me a chance of sort of seeing how they were run and took the best bits and refined some of those. Nice. So, yeah, so Naomi does a great job of running Paperific, which is usually in August, but um, unfortunately has just been cancelled. So there's that. The other. So what are you going to do with your shows this year? What What are the plans? Um, just for anyone who's listening, mm -hmm. we're now in, what, what are we, in uh, mid-July almost. And, st well, I'm certainly back in lockdown, and I can only <laughs> say that in Victoria it looks like it might go f further and wider. So you've pivoted in order to be able to keep your audience engaged, but what are you going to do about the shows? What have you decided? Yeah, so we've had to cancel. We had to cancel our May and we've cancelled our July shows. Um, 
like I said, two weeks ago, we were hoping our October show might have been able to go ahead with some sort of restrictions. At the moment, we, we just don't know. Don't know. So... Yeah, it's re- it's been very very hard. So, have you thought about bringing the show online? Whether that's possible, or you um, think that so that's one of just our competitors has that in a sort of a forum. Um, mm-hmm. So, what we're trying to do is something different. We're offering our retailers the opportunity to talk directly to our crafters on through our platforms. So, again, crafters very much you need to see it, and it's very hard when yep. you can't touch it and feel it. So, it's really about giving them that platform so that they can talk to them rather than, you know, anyone can put up a video within reason, you know, so we're trying to offer something different. And I think the other thing is that the pandemic, the other gift it has given us is it has taken people that aren't tech savvy and are not used to talking to people on Zoom or whatever and dragged them kicking and screaming in some cases, but brought them sort of into the tech world. So have you found that that's helped? Like, have you found that your people are starting to watch or have you found that things have just dropped off because they just can't manage um, it? No, they've been definitely growing. So like I said, we work really hard with our retailers. We've come up with a really simple yeah. process. We're really flexible. It's our platform. We can do whatever we need to with it. That's why, you know, we love that the the services that we use, we can, um, you know, attune to how we need to. So we've made sure that that's as simple for them as possible. We do a practice run so that they feel comfortable when we go into it. Um, a couple, we've done more than one practice run, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, and so that's helped with the viewers. Again, we initially broadcast out through Facebook and that's a yep. platform that so many of our demographics. So our demographic is really women sort of 35 to 55. And so right. that's a perfect Facebook demographic at the moment. Um, but then, like I said, we also then put it on YouTube and onto our website. So live, we're getting up to 50 crafters with us live. We'll, Are you serious? Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, we'll reach 500 Twice within the first week. 24 hours and then, yeah, well over 1,000 in, in that preceding week, so... Amazing. Yeah. You are such an amazing woman. And I love it that you constantly downplay yourself. I've always got to go, come on, tell us more. Yeah, well, I guess I'm you always looking ahead. I know, but I can always see the next step. <laughs> and that's been a challenge with this setup. You know, we sort of knew what we wanted, but there's been so much technology behind it. And, you know, our backgrounds, we've been able to figure things out, but, you know, how do you get calls in and then send calls out? You know, you need microphones that don't echo through speakers or speakers that echo yes. through microphones. And then you need lighting and, like we've got great lighting when the sun's out. It's a disaster yep. when it's not. So it's been just working <laughs> through all these things. And these days, not knowing something is no excuse because we have Google and we have YouTube. So yeah, that's my husband true. spent hours and hours following all sorts of people, <clears throat> how to make a YouTube video better. What lighting did we need? What speakers did we need? What cameras did we need? So it's been a gradual evolution. Have you had to invest a lot into going online? Look, I, it's probably, yeah, a couple of thousand dollars. $5,000. Which isn't too bad, I guess. Hmm. Hopefully you'll be picking up new pe- people that you wouldn't have picked up before. Have you found that yeah, happening? Yeah, definitely. Because now the challenge from you know a PR perspective was always we're very much Victorian-based, so we were really just yep. concentrating on Melbourne and Victoria. But now we can reach people throughout Australia and, and the, the global audience is growing as well. Wow. So when we come out of COVID, maybe 2021, it'll start going interstate? Is that kind of... Um, Again, this is, you know, from a business perspective, um, so the people I listen a lot to are people like Tim Ferriss and he had um, someone on talking about, you know, getting an angel investor if you wanted to grow your business and saying, look, you really have to decide what kind of business you want because if you have someone there that's given you money, 
they're going to want a piece of you and they're going to want you to meet milestones and to grow. And That's so right. Really considered- All of a sudden someone else... Yeah, someone else has got their nose in your yeah, business. Yeah, so we've really considered what sort of model we want. Um, I'm very conscious that if I work too hard, I make myself sick. So it's yep. how do we build a model around that? Can I say well that? done for that? Sorry? Because the, the number, can I say congratulations for realizing that? Because the, one of the experiences through doing all these interviews is, has been, it's shocked me how many women have driven themselves into PTSD mm-hmm. and, mental breakdowns and nervous breakdowns and physical breakdowns because they just didn't know to stop. So I think it is super important for anyone that's listening to make that time and just go, well, I can't do everything. Yeah, and I think I've had a few little glimpses. You know, probably here I've got a bit of a croaky throat, but 18 months ago I had really bad tonsillitis and I pushed through and now I really have right. ruined my voice. Um, 12 months ago I had shingles. So just these, and not too bad, but just enough of those little reminders that like, it's got to be sustainable. And it's a craft show. If I'm stressed out of my head and not having fun running a craft show, you know, I'm, I just shouldn't be doing it. What I hope should pack is up there? and go back to engineering. <laughs> well, I, I really, really do hope that engineering becomes the side hustle, you know, before too long and this becomes the major one. So, um, well, I was going to say, have there been any pivotal moments? I don't know whether we've covered all of that. Is there anything else that you want to share that sort of really affected yeah. you or shall Look, I this, move on? This COVID shutdown probably has. We had definitely a plan through 2021, 22 to increase the number of shows, perhaps take them into state. But again, doing that in a really sustainable way. Um, yeah. We're very conscious that, you know, to keep our costs down, moving stock around as a physical show is really um, labour intensive and and expensive. So it's just how did we yeah. grow that and make it sustainable. But just with all the shows shut down, we've had to think differently. But like you said, it's given us that opportunity to, to do it different ways. So take that physical element out of it. It's still very stressful though. Yeah, no, look, it, it, it's been stressful for everyone, I think. Uh, but there are a lot of people either sinking or swimming. And I definitely say you're swimming, even though you might think you're doing just the dog paddle. <laughs> I think you're doing a terrific job. So talk to me about have what it's like when you've got a job and then you've got a side hustle and the side hustle is quite a lot and now you're doing two shows a week, et cetera, et cetera. How are you juggling work and life? What sort of hours are you yeah. working? So um, lots of calendars, lots of whiteboards. Um, so part of what we do in businesses is implement visual management and communication systems. Um, right. So even when we were consulting when the boys were small, you know, we were always somewhere different every day. So we've always had a whiteboard. Right. We keep that up to date with sort of a two-week look ahead. And what I do is I just plan. And again, what it's taken a while to acknowledge is that the consulting work doesn't always have to get put first. For a long while it was, and I would juggle right. the show around it. Um, but again, I had a bit of flexibility with that. So as long as I had my calendar planned while I was traveling overseas or on a show week, I could just blank that out and dedicate that to either working, you know, consulting or to the show yeah. and then just be really firm on that. So if someone would ring up, say, can you do something this week? It's like, look, it's a show week. The ne- my next available opportunity is here. And that's how I've basically managed it. I'm now trying to do two to three days for the shows. I'm doing a Saturday as well. So I have been working six days a week for the last however many years. But um, to balance right, that, okay. Sunday is basically a pyjama day. So... Nothing happens on a Sunday. Oh, good. And are you finishing work at the end of the day? Like, have you got a, okay, I've finished now at six o'clock. It's Oh, definitely. Well before six. So I usually try and get out of here sort of four, four thirty, be home by five. And then that's it. As soon as all the ducklings are safely home, the phone goes off. 
Yeah, that's a that's a that's really good advice, I think, and that's how we do manage to keep going. Okay, now here's one that's a bit out of left field, <laughs> but is there a quirky fact you can share with us that people don't know about you? Most people quirky. don't know. Fact. Oh, I'm a so huge... many good answers. To uh, this. So I wanted to be a journalist, and yes. I'm a huge writer and a reader oh. of science fantasy. Really? So my so, Sundays so are spent book? in my pajamas, usually reading a really good science fantasy book. And what science fantasy is that? Things like Dune? Uh no, that's science fiction. So more Dungeons and Dragons, magic, Harry Potter, and oh, okay, that sort of thing. Right. So, did you love Game of Thrones and some of those? So, kind of shows? I'm one of the diehards that read the books. Um, so, <laughs> I only have watched one or two of the episodes because we don't have paid television, the um, cable tally. So, haven't watched it. But diehard yep. on the books. Having said that, if the guy doesn't write the next one soon, I'm giving up altogether. <laughs> oh, I thought it was all over Red Rover. No, there's more to come. He's, is there? He hasn't finished the books. It's been 11 years since the last one was released. Oh, and you're counting the days, I can No, tell. I've given up. Because on his website he said, if people stopped asking me when I'd have the next book finished, I'd have the next book finished. And if someone has no respect so you thought, for okay, their readers, then I'm, I'm not interested. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so last little question. These are just silly ones about apps on your Excellent. phone, just because I'm obsessed with apps on my phone, and some people are and some people mm-hmm. aren't. Have you got some apps that you use for business on your phone? And if so, what are they? So my main business ones would be Facebook pages. So I have all notifications turned off my phone, email, except for text message and except for comments on my, about my business pages. So I've got two pages and two groups that hang off those two businesses. And yeah, they're the only ones that I really spend time on. Right. And so therefore your phone is not a toy. Do you have a, do you play any games on it? Are you a words with friends woman or a no, anything like that? Not really. Used to be. But okay. again, well, how do you make time to do paper crafting, I guess, if you're playing on yeah, your phone? Yeah, or reading or, um, so I do a lot of self-development and a lot of um, professional development as well. So yeah, I really try and turn that phone off and I just know how addictive it is and how, you know, before you know it, an hour's passed on Facebook and you're worried about someone whose kid's sick and someone else who's got a drama and I just, I just, we just don't have the energy Too for much. it at the moment. I've really been conscious you know, you're asking about juggling time. I find it's not time management, it's energy management. Yeah, well, it's very easy to be drained very quickly, particularly through times like this. And you've been learning a whole lot of new stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, we've been learning a new so, stuff and always, you know, digging deeper, doing a lot of journaling, a lot of meditation, trying to figure out where that next step is. Well, I was just going to say, and I'll just put you on the spot, uh, where is Michelle Brown going to be in five years? What's the, what, what's the big Ooh, goal for that? Years. It was always to retire. Though if I think if the financial, and we end up in a depression, then, then no one's retiring for anything. Um, well, not for a little while yeah, longer. It might add an extra couple of years running onto the it. Shows. The next thing I've started exploring this week was having some of my own products. So part of the challenge with all this has been importing Ooh. the products from America and how hard it is to be get what we want to get, you know, yeah. shipping. And there's a couple of Australian companies that are doing some interesting things. So starting to see if I did more of my own designing and create a product range under my own brand as well. Oh my God, I love that idea. You've got to do it. You've got it. I love the way you think. It's so entrepreneurial. Well, it's like, it's just I know brilliant. what I want. And if I can't find it, or if someone tells me I can't have it, it. then stuff you. I'll find a way of getting it. Oh my God. What a brilliant ending to our interview. Thank you so much for joining me today. I loved hearing about your story. 
I love everything about what you're doing and I cannot wait to see where you end up over the next couple of years. But I really appreciate you spending the time and, and telling me a little bit more about From Picture to Page and Beyond. Now, last thing is, if people want to get hold of you or they'd like to maybe come along to one of your shows, what, what, what's the best way to oh, get okay. hold of you? Okay, so we've got two main channels. Like you said, if we're interested about the shows or watching the online demonstrations, it's at frompicturetopageandbeyond.com.au. And there we've got all the sessions that are coming up as well as all the replays. And then if you'd actually like some crafting products or to do some craft classes, you can find us at mixedmediaart.net where you can find a wealth of tutorials around art journaling and mixed media as well as our online store and our class schedule. Amazing. And what's your YouTube channel as well? YouTube, from picture to page and creating mixed media art. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Jules. It's been a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet, and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she'stheboss.com.au and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. 